Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legere. Several years ago, I was part of a group in St. John that started a fundraising initiative called 100 Men Who Care. The idea was to bring together men to fundraise for nonprofit organizations in the community. We were inspired by a group of women who had founded a similar group in St. John in 2013, the 100 Women Who Care of Greater St. John. The men had a good run, hosting a series of events over a two-year period. But we didn't have the staying power of the women, who are still going strong after nearly 10 years and close to a million dollars in funds raised for local organizations doing essential work in the community. But we didn't have a Debbie Rathwell, one of the founders of the women's group. Debbie runs a company called Red that does corporate event planning as part of its services. She has the kinds of skills and experience you need to make this kind of initiative successful and sustainable. I've always admired the work of this group and had been planning to have Debbie on the show when they hit the million dollar mark. They're not there yet, but they're close, as Debbie told me in our chat recorded the week after their most recent meeting. The group had voted to give $26,000 to an organization called the Compassionate Grief Center, which works with people struggling with illness, grief, loss, and life's challenges. That meeting took the 100 Women Who Care group over the $900,000 mark. In our chat, Debbie talks about the power and inspiration of women coming together to help people in their community. We also talk about her career journey, which began with her childhood dream of becoming a professional figure skater. And we discuss our personal connections too. I grew up down the street from Debbie. She was actually one of my babysitters when I was a kid. Here's my chat with Debbie. Morning, Debbie. Morning, Mark. Where do I find you today? I am in my home office in Rothsay, New Brunswick, uh, where the sun is shining, and I have a little sneak peek of the river, which uh, is always nice and inspiring and uh, sets the tone for my day. Oh, no, absolutely. And actually, I'm so I'm, I'm here in the south end in, in my house near the coast, near the harbor, and often when it's sunny in Rothsay, it is foggy in St. John, but it's a lovely uh, morning here in the south end, too. And actually, I just I was just out in Rossay this morning because I'm helping my mother move into her new house, Debbie. And you know about that because we grew up down the street from you. You sure did. And I look at that house and I think, my gosh, that's the end of an era. And I think back to way back in the, I don't know, I guess it was the early 70s that I actually used to babysit you and you were just such an adorable little guy. And look at us now today <laughs> having this conversation and reconnected. It's wonderful. Yeah, no, it's great. My mother settled into her new house in, in Rosse. And uh, yeah, so all is good, but going to miss uh, being down the street from you. Oh, yeah. Or close by. Or close by, yeah. I'm gonna certainly going to miss your mom because she walks by my house almost every day and she's always just the happiest the happiest woman. She's always got a smile and a hello for everyone, and I've always just loved her. So I wish her well in her new home. Yeah, definitely. And because she's she's just down the street and she still has a lot of cro- close friends, I'm sure you're, you're still going to see her walking by for sure. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for, for joining me. And what I'd like to do is just take you back, you know, to start our conversation to how your career developed from right from the point when you were very young. Sure. Yeah. I love, uh, I love to think back to those days because they were, I mean, my days are happy now, but you know, as a young child, I was a figure skater and my dream was to be a professional figure skater. I knew I was never going to be a world champion or a national champion, but I just absolutely loved skating. It fueled me. It fueled everything about my life. I was on the, I was on the ice every day and every chance I could. And I I decided at a very young age that I wanted to be a professional figure skating coach. 
And so, you know, figure skating and lots of lessons and lots of skates and all that, that was kind of my university degree. You know, my parents plunged a lot of money into my figure skating. So I didn't go to university. I, I followed my dream. And right after high school, as a matter of fact, starting in my last year of high school, I started teaching figure skating. And I did that for about four or five years. And I was just in my happy place. Life was good. And then at about, I'm going to say, I think when I was 20, um, adversity struck and I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So that made it really tough to be trying to be in the cold rings, even though I'd grown up in them. Um, it wasn't the, wasn't the best choice for me. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get my skates on. I couldn't use my hands. I was really stricken with it. So I had to do a pivot with my life um, at that young age. I was living in Peterborough at the time because my parents had moved there to retire. But my brother and sister were still here back in Rossi. And this is really this is my home. I grew up here. So I came back to Rossay and I needed to start again and I needed to find a job. So I, my first job that I got was working at the bank. Well, if anybody knows me, I am not, well, I love talking to the people at the bank, but it was hard for me to concentrate on, you know, trying to make their money match and debits and credits. And that wasn't my life. But then I moved on and I got a job at the Hilton and, um, believe it or not, in the accounting department. So I absolutely knew that um, the Hilton was where I wanted to be, but I, I wanted to, it wasn't, it wasn't the department I needed to be in. I wanted to be out amongst the, amongst the people. I wanted to be talking. I wanted to be making things happen. So I worked my way up through the ranks. I got, I moved over to the trading convention center. I was where the action was happening. All the events were taking place. And over the years, I worked myself up to director of sales and marketing. And I, uh, so I worked with the Hilton for 16 years and, uh, in 2006, it was time to kind of spread my own ring, uh, spread my own wings and change things up. And with the support of my biggest fan, my husband, Charlie, I launched my dream company called Red. And I started that in 2006. I do corporate event planning. Uh, which uh, is starting to come back now. But of course, the last few years with COVID, um, that wasn't too much for me. I do some lead generation for some different uh, tourism departments and hotel chains. Again, that kind of, you know, that kind of fizzled out a little bit too. But things are coming back now. And I'm busy with my work and uh, all is good. And here we yeah. are. The Even though obviously the figure skating you know, is, is very different than what you're doing now. It, it sounds like you were a very, an entrepreneurial self-starter from a very young age. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but I guess I was, I, I think before, actually it's funny before I launched my company red, while I was working full-time at the Hilton, I got into selling Herbalife, you know, the health and nutrition products. And I was doing that, you know, at nights from home. And I think that's really where I realized um, I think that was kind of my launching pad for realizing that if I could work full time in the day and then spend all these hours at night doing this little side entrepreneurial business, that was kind of the stepping stone for me and the confirmation that, yep, I can do this. I've got the, I've got the drive, I've got the passion and I've got the commitment. So off I went and launched, launched red. Yeah. Where does the name red come from? I, well, my hair is red. 
I have a red personality and that's on the good side of the red personality. I'm vivacious and energetic and happy and lots of energy. And of course, growing up, my nickname, you know, people would call me red. And the other nickname would have been Carrot Top, but I chose not to call my company that. So uh, <laughs> red is how my company name was was born. Yeah. And, and, and you asked me that question. Part of my part of my um, tagline in my company is "It's who I am." So people will always say exactly what you said, like "Why red?" And I always just say, "Well, it's who I am." So that's kind of how that all happens. And did you discover 100 Women Who Care after you had founded your own company? Like, how did that come about? So I started my company in 2006. And in 2013, February of 2013, I was still doing my own business. And I actually am still doing my own business. <laughs> I went to a tourism conference. And it was in Fredericton. And there was a woman that was doing a presentation on LinkedIn. She was from Halifax and she said at the end of her presentation, while I've got you here, I just want to tell you a little bit about something that I'm doing in my community. And she started talking about this 100 100 women who care uh, fundraising model uh, that she and another woman were launching in Halifax and they were going to be having their first meeting in April. Well, I sat, I sat bolt upright in my seat in that conference room because LinkedIn isn't a wonderfully exciting topic to be listening to a presentation on. So as soon as she started on this 100 Women Who Care, I was like upright and intent and I was just listening like in, I was completely committed right from the beginning. I thought, wow, this, this is it. This is it. What was it about it that sparked your interest and your passion? Yeah, I, you know, I think it was the efficiency of it. The fact that you could, I could, you know, let me step back for a second. I think back to um, all of the fundraisers that I used to be involved in with my work and, and the amount of time that it took, you know, I would be out pounding the pavement looking for silent auction items for a fundraiser for, a, you know, for a silent auction, or I'd be, I'd be trying to sell tickets to, you know, a dance that we were putting on to raise money for, for whatever. There was a lot of time. I also felt that in my own personal life, I was doing the best I could to try and give back and help the less fortunate. I was kind of contributing my $50 here, my $100 there, but I never knew where my money was going. I never, I never really felt like I was making a difference. I, I really, you know, I, I pay $50 here. I'd have a minute of, wow, that feels good. But there was always a sinking feeling that I was never doing enough and that my, my donation my contribution really wasn't making any sort of a difference. So, so between spending a lot of time working and helping to put on fundraisers and then also my own personal kind of being unfulfilled and just my personal experience, I think that I just, the whole model, one hour, four times a year and $100 each, you know, so it's a commitment of $400. I was like, this just can't be true. This is just so simple. So I, I, yeah, I like to call it speed philanthropy. I was involved in the original men's group that also did this in St. John for a few years that um, you uh, also brought your skills and event planning to the table because this, this is a lot of work. You've been doing this for how many years now? We are in year nine, year nine. Tell me how it works. Like, how does it, how does a meeting work? Sure. So, um, so each member commits to, so in order to become a member, you need to commit to four consecutive meetings. And at each of those meetings, you donate $100. Okay. 
So the commitment is 400 times a year. It's interesting because many, many, many of our women have opted to stay on past their four meeting commitment. And really that's kind of a, an indication that, that the model works, right. And that it's, uh, it's such an efficient way to give back. So, so meetings are conducted in one hour or less. And I'll be honest, we've never once gone over an hour. So in advance of each meeting, the ladies have the opportunity to nominate a charity of their choice. So all those charities then go into a hat. The one thing that I remind the ladies of every single meeting is the importance of nominating a charity because the only way a charity can, excuse me, have the chance to be drawn out of the hat to present to us is if they're nominated by a, by a member. So, and every nomination counts. Our last meeting just last week, we had two organizations present to us and each one of them had only one member nomination. So I always say, if you don't think your nomination doesn't count, it does. Um, so, so we nominate the charities, all the charity names go into a hat and five days before the meeting, we randomly select out three charities. As long as they meet the criteria and the criteria is that they um, are a charitable organization that can issue tax receipts and that the money stays local in the communities of Greater St. John. So then those three char charities, they come, uh, whether it's on Zoom or in person, and they do a five-minute pitch on why they, why they need our 25,000-plus donation. There's tears, there's laughter, there's, uh, there's some pretty amazing stories out there. There's, it just, it's just amazing how many people are working so hard and there's just so much need. Anyhow, sorry, I'll get back to uh, how it works. So, so those three charities then do their five-minute pitches. And right after that, immediately, the ladies vote. And they vote on which charity they feel is in most dire need of our, our donation. On Zoom, they have 30 seconds to vote. Uh, in first not a meeting, you know, it's, it's manual. So we hand out the ballots and collect the ballots. And so we have to count. So it's, it takes a little bit longer. But immediately, once the voting is done, we know exactly who the winner is. And that charity goes home with all the money. 100 Women Who Care doesn't have a bank account. We are just the kind of catalyst to bring women together to give back to communities. So the ladies write their checks directly to the winning charity, and then the charity sends out the tax receipts, and then we move on to the next meeting. The one interesting thing is that at each meeting, the winner from the previous meeting comes and tells us what they how they used our donation. So it really goes full circle. Just taking you a little bit back to, to the beginnings uh, of the organization, just to get a sense of the start of all of this. So you, you're inspired by this presentation. And so what comes next when you walk away from learning yeah. about the group? So I came home, uh, like I think I sped all the way home. And I was just thinking, all I could think was, I, this just so totally resonated with me that I just thought, if I'm feeling this way, how about this incredible, efficient fundraising model? There has to be at least 100 other women that are feeling the same way. I just knew that I had to bring it home and put it out in my community. So as soon as I got home, I reached out to my good friend, Kelly Patterson, who I had, uh, we had just kind of become disconnected, not for any other reason other than we were just both living our lives. Um, but I knew that Kelly was really passionate about her community and, and giving back. And I thought, I'm going to reach out to Kelly because this will be a great way 
to reconnect us and it'd be something fun that we can do together because we're both passionate about our community. So I sent her a note and she said, absolutely count me, count me in. And I always say the fire within had been lit and off we went. And at our first, well, we launched, you know, we basically drafted a list of every woman that we knew, uh, sent out a, you know, a, an email about this. And within, uh, within 48 hours, we had 50 women signed on. And in less than three weeks, we had 100. And at our first meeting, which was in June, uh, so we launched in April, in June, so I guess it was two months, we had 186 women. And at that, our first meeting was, uh, was then June 13th, and the winner was the St. John SPCA Animal Rescue. The room was absolutely electric. We were just it was just so exciting. But at the same time, there wasn't a dry eye in the house because, the, you know, the presentations and, of course, you can imagine animals. And anyhow, the ladies voted for the Animal Rescue League. And it was just, it was like emotional donating. We just nailed it. And we all walked out of there just feeling so incredible. Um, and we've had several meetings like that since. Um, every meeting is special in its own way. So, Yeah. Tell me something about the convening power around this and especially bringing together this, you know, large group of women. And it's it's funny because I did know because I followed your organization right from the beginning. So I've actually been waiting a long time to have this chat. I've wanted to have this chat with you for a long time because I followed you closely. What is it about bringing a, a group of women like this together as opposed to it being a mixed group? What what changes the dynamic of it? What do you think the purpose of it is? You know, it's an interesting question. Um, I uh, I always start our meetings with a quote, and it's kind of an inspirational quote to set the foundation for for the meeting. And uh, when I think of women uh, and the power of women, um, this quote I think I think really sums up how our what our organization is and all about. Um, it's by Felicia Rashad, um, Claire Huxtable from the uh, Cosby Show, and it goes like this. Anytime women come together with a collective intention, it's a powerful thing. Whether it's sitting down making a quilt, in a kitchen making a meal, in a club reading a book, or just around the table playing cards. When women come together with a collective intention, magic happens. And I truly believe that. We, you know, magic happens every quarter with 100 Women Who Care. These women are so committed and... I guess just after every meeting, it just makes you wanting to do more, you know? So I would just say, you know, we we're all on the same page and, and we all want to give back and do good in our community. Have you had uh, a lot of women who have been around since the beginning or does it, do people tend to come and go? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, a little bit of both. We, we have probably, I'm going to say now, so we're almost 300 members and we have been over 200 over 250 right from the get-go, really. We've had, and a lot of people have come and gone, uh, whether they moved away, their you know, financial situation changed. Um, we've, I'm going to say we've probably still got maybe 50 of our originals, um, which, is, which is pretty huge, I think. You know, that's, the, and, and I always say we're on this path to a million dollars. We're on the journey train. So, you know, there's a lot of people that have been on this journey train right from the beginning. And then there's a lot that have been, you know, started in the second year that have, have stayed with us. So 
And COVID, of course, made things a little more challenging. So, of course, we lost some people during that because jobs were lost and people just didn't have the have the finances. And, yeah, so people come and go, but, you know, they do stay for their four meeting commitments. So, but a big majority of the people stay on. Yeah. And, and you have this, um, you know, you had, I know you're not doing them now because we're doing them virtually and, and, and I'll want to talk to you about that in a second, but the the setting for these meetings was was lovely for a long time too right because you did it at the lily lake pavilion on well, lily lake and rockwood park so it's yeah. it, it, it's an inspiring place to hold this kind of meeting yeah it really it really is um they were you know we we held our first i guess seven years of meetings there until covid struck but you're right it's such a tranquil place we picked that location from the beginning because it had lots of parking. It was um, central for women that were maybe coming home from work or, you know, we tried to make it uh, kind of a central location and it worked really well. We'd always have the ladies would come first and have a drink. We always had the bar open. So there was some network working that was going on. It was very casual. I know some of the other organizations have, you know, like trade show tables and people can come and promote their you know, whatever it is their business is. But we followed the simple, simple model right from the beginning, which is just get in, get out. <laughs> Come in, do your work, have a little bit of networking time, have a drink. And then Lily Lake was lovely because people could go downstairs to Lily's for dinner. And, and you know, for the several meetings, we would do that. And I tell you, I don't know if you've ever been in Lily's uh, downstairs at um, at Lily Lake, but... You know, you have all of a sudden 80, 100 women who care, women that are in there having dinner and a drink after just turning one charity's world upside down. It was just a carry on of just the feel good of the of the whole meeting. So unfortunately, that came to an end, but we've certainly got a lot of really great memories from Lily Lake. Yeah, it, it, uh, it that was my next question was going to be around like I realized that you're and you've answered it already that even though you run these meetings very efficiently and it's trying to get busy people and busy organizations in and out in an hour, uh, I suspect that over the years, uh, friendships and relationships have formed, whether they be work or, or personal, you know, with this, this group of women, uh, many of which I probably know each other throughout the community, but you probably see people you didn't know walk in the door too, right? Oh my Lord. I've met so many fascinating women and I've learned so much. Uh, I guess I just, I've just realized that we have a huge um, population of women in our community and men too, just that our women, <laughs> I see the women um, that, that want to do good. And yeah, I've met so many wonderful people. And, you know, I had one woman a few years ago, just send me a note and say, look, I'm going to, how about I, I'm devise a whole working document list of all the charities in greater St. John so that that will be a resource for our members when they're trying to think of a charity to nominate. So this woman took it upon herself to just make up that list. That's a huge job. There's a lot of charities. So now when, before each meeting, the members are sent this list that they could look through if they're having trouble coming up with a charity. We've had, I just recently had one of our members reach out and say, you know, could I, I'm, I do a lot of presentations in my work and I wonder if I could help some of those charities perfect their presentations before they come. Like every, there, there's just so, uh, it just gives me little goosebumps when I think about what, what our community of women are, are all about. Yeah. 
Right, because you, I mean, you, you just name one example, but you probably have a, a lot of women that come out of these meetings that were an hour long, but in some cases develop, you know, long-term volunteer commitments to organizations or get inspired to get involved in other things. I suspect it's a, yeah. it's a catalyst, eh? Absolutely. You know, I always say, so, you know, we've got three charities presenting and only one can win. And so one charity goes home with all the other, with all the money. And then the other two charities go home and they, they come back and try again. You know, they may be back up on the stage. But one thing that seems to be very common is that one of the charity's stories has resonated with some members and they give to the charity, the non-winning charity anyway, because they, you know, they may have voted or excuse me, yeah, voted for so-and-so to win, but they didn't. But their story was compelling enough that they still give their money. I've had others come up to me after the meeting and say, how can I, how can I get in touch with that charity? I need, I want to volunteer. I want to help them. So there's a spinoff and a trickle down for everybody. And, you know, some charities have been up on stage three times and one on the third time. Like it's just, it's, it's interesting how it all works and the dynamics of, you know, who are other, who are the other presenters who may be more in dire need at the time. And it's just the general feeling of the ladies. So it's, we've had a couple of charities that have been on stage three times and one on the third time. So well, says I can imagine, and having been through this process a few, several times myself, you're often getting pitched by three very deserving uh, charities yeah. or organizations. And it's just a matter of making a, a tough choice. You've got three yeah. good ones before you. Yeah, exactly. It is. And it's often it's very hard to choose, you know, so uh, moving into kind of the, the present, so you, at what point did you have to move to virtual meetings? Obviously at the beginning of the pandemic, did you continue yeah. with the regular schedule of four? Yeah, we said no way is COVID going to stop us in our tracks. So um, it's interesting. There is now a, what's called a 100 Who Care Alliance. It's a global alliance. When I started or when Kelly and I started and launched our Greater St. John chapter, there was no resources out there. All we learned from the Halifax woman. So she basically just sent us copies of all her, you know, her process. And here's an example of a letter we'll send out. Da, 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 da. And Kelly and I just kind of made our own thing. We just said, okay, here's what we want our uh, organization to look like. Here's what the letter is going to look like and, and put all our uh, practices into place. And so and then we went on to help many other chapters launch, including the 100 uh, Men of Greater St. John, right? Now there's a 100 Who Care Alliance because it's not just women who care, it's men who care, it's businesses who care, it's people who care, it's kids who care. And so now there's this resource out there for, uh, for people to go and, you know, if they're launching a new chapter. So, yeah, so this alliance, um, like I was saying, they have all sorts of different uh, resources. One of the things that they um, jumped on was how to, when COVID struck, was uh, we need to teach all these giving circle leaders, that's what they, that's what these are called, our giving circles, on how to run a Zoom meeting. So I went on to a, you know, a Zoom meeting to learn how to run a Zoom meeting. Uh, so that we could, you know, I had no idea how do people vote. And I mean, it was a whole different ballgame. And there was this one girl, um, and I, her name's Emily, and she works for a, an organization in, she's now in Philadelphia, and it's called grapevine.org. And they work with charities, and it's it's only in the U.S., so we can't, 
I, you know, we can't use their services, but um, they, their organization is that they would take over collecting all of the money from our hundred women who care members. I do all that myself, which I'm quite happy to do. But Emily was on this call and um, someone said, and if you've got any further questions, you can reach out to Emily at Grapevine. Well, I sent Emily a note and I said, Emily, I have no idea how to do this by myself. Would you be able to help me? And God love her. She, this, uh, we just had our ninth meeting with Emily. She has stuck with us. She's up there in that corner window. She's, she, you know, sets the Zoom meeting up. I send her everything in advance. She puts the charity names up for the voting and, and everybody, everybody loves Emily. We call her our Zoom angel. But that's just another example of, of women coming to, to help, right? Like she, she doesn't get anything out of it other than my constant praise and thank you. I always send her a note and say, you've got so many fans in Greater St. John. Thank you so much. So yeah, so we're on Zoom. And we've been doing these Zoom meetings uh, since June 2020. And, you know, we haven't missed a beat. Uh, Zoom has worked well for a lot of people. I mean, there's all there's a lot of people that are social and love that social coming together. And, and uh, you know, maybe it's a night out. Maybe it's dinner out. Coming together with friends. Then there's also all sorts of other people that are, that are busy, they're traveling, they're, it's, you know, it's 5.30 to 6.30. So that time doesn't work for anyone, especially with, excuse me, doesn't work for everyone. You know, people are busy with their kids. And so Zoom really worked for probably as many people as the on-site meetings did. But people are ready. You can feel it building. People are ready to get back together. So we just had our last meeting, which was a week ago, June the 7th. We, we did have it on Zoom. But, you know, this is a decision of the membership. And we're still, you know, yes, people say COVID's over. We know it's not. The Delta Hotel very generously reached out uh, through one of our members, Debbie Tushi, who is their sales manager, and offered us a nice big ballroom complimentary of the Delta, which was just so generous of them. So, you know, we would have been able to social distance and... So I went out to the membership with a survey, something that I've never done because I really only ever reach out to the ladies four times a year. I don't, there's no in-between communication from me with the ladies. So I went out with a survey to find out how many people were really okay to meet on site again. And it, it ended up, you know, of course, I think it was, people were ready to meet. People were ready to meet, but only half the membership answered the survey so then it came down to okay how many people actually can meet on site so it's not about wanting to now it's because we wanted to make sure when we have that meeting that we have a good representation of our members if only 50 of our 300 members were at the meeting well that's kind of it's it's just not going to work so we ended up um we we kind of set a, a bar of 100 we needed to have 100 women on site and we didn't meet that. So we went back on Zoom. So September, we'll see what happens. You know, I know there's a lot of women that are anxious to get back on, on site. So I, I honestly don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I'm, I'm sure you've started to go to, well, you're an event organizer. So, of course, you've been at events. But I have started to go out to them again. And it's interesting. There's there's a lot of energy for people getting back and, and yeah. circulating, but same time, a little bit of nervousness. Uh, it, but it's amazing that you, 
the organization had the staying power through through the pandemic because it you know it's difficult to to do things virtually and so much of the the organization so much of the what's great about your organization is is that convening power and bringing women women together so being able to yeah. carry this off on on zoom for a few years um yeah. it, it, did did zoom surprise you in some way like in some ways did it did it work better having women in on zoom as opposed to being in the room well i can only speak for myself and my experience i was so surprised i literally found it so personal and I guess it was because, you know, when I think of my role at the meetings, I'm up on the on the stage, I'm facilitating the meeting, I'm looking out at 150, 160 women in the audience, many of who I don't know, right? I, I don't, I know their names, but you know, I don't know all my members personally. And because I'm always busy and working, I'm saying hello to people, but I'm not able to kind of um, in that one hour have really engaging conversation or actually really meet meet the people. Well, all of a sudden on Zoom, I'm looking at 120, 130 women with their faces and their names. And so for me, it was really personal because I'm like, oh, so that's, you know, so-and-so that I've never had the opportunity to meet before. And she was out there in that audience somewhere, but I, 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 we didn't connect. Right. So, and, and it's, it's interesting because we try to do that little social networking for 10 minutes before the Zoom meeting. So, you know, sometimes everybody's talking and sometimes they're not. But, you know, I always say sit back, grab a drink. Some people you can see them eating their dinner while they're while they're listening. Like it's just it's I, I find it very personal. And that's just from my perspective, because I'm meeting all these women that I couldn't meet in person. So, yeah, it's it's good. It's quick. You know, we've, we start our meeting at quarter to six and we're usually, well, we're always done by 630. As a matter of fact, our meetings are usually, yeah, 45 minutes. It's that quick. Now, I promised you, Debbie, we started this conversation that because your meetings are under an hour or an hour that, that I wouldn't keep you for more than an hour. So I, I really appreciate the, the time that, that you've given me. I, I had originally thought of talking to you right around the million dollar mark, but you know, after the last few meetings, I thought, no, I have to, I have to bring on Debbie sooner than that. I have to have this chat yeah. sooner. How far away do you think you are from that million based on your projections? Are you uh, a year away? Or are you more than that? Like, can you, we I guess you are, can't tell. Yeah, we're a year away. We anticipate that we will be hitting the million dollar mark at our June 2023 meeting. It's really exciting. And I think there's a lot of momentum within the membership because I keep reminding them, okay, stay with me, stay with me. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. I said, the only thing that we have to figure out right now is who's going to buy the champagne. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. And to think, uh, you know, to think that nine years has gone by so quickly, but, uh, you know, I have so many great memories and yeah, it's just been such a great journey. Yeah. And you must have a lot, a lot of women who are as eager as you to, you might grow uh, heading towards that million. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my, I say it almost every meeting is we've always been so close to 300 members and the highest we got only a few weeks ago was 296. But then, you know, people like we talked about earlier, people, one woman was moving. So she's like, after the June meeting, I'll be gone. So there we lose a member. Right. So it's just, and it's natural that we would, but then at the same time, after the meeting, we gain new members because social media, you know, and people, there's a great, great buzz out there on social media. 
And so we still haven't got to 300 members and I'm not giving up. I'm hoping that at that meeting in June, 2023, we'll have 300 members, but, but yeah, we're on the, uh, we're inching closer every single meeting. It's really exciting. Yeah. Well, it's so inspiring to talk to you. It's, it makes me think we have to get the hundred men who care back on board here. Yeah, I think you should. I think you should. It's so rewarding. All right. Well, thanks very much for talking to me, Debbie. I appreciate it. Uh, really, really enjoyed our chat, Mark. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the latest episode of Home Office on the Huddle Podcast Network. Thanks, Debbie, for the great chat. If you'd like to learn more about the group or would like to become a member, visit their website, 100womenwhocaregsj.com. That's 100womenwhocaregsj.com. And if you'd like to listen to more Home Office podcasts, you can follow the show on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. Or visit huddle.today and find us in the podcast category. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend us to a friend.